0: One of the sons of Sebastian Bach was clearer about one thing. He writes in a letter after the passing of his papa, As to the church works of J.S. Bach, it may be mentioned that he worked devoutly, governing himself by the content of the text without elaboration on individual words at the expense of the sense of the whole, such as sometimes arouse the admiration of people who claim to be connoisseurs but are not. We're told the general concept of such an approach in music was first noticed in publication near the end of the 17th century. Johann Kaspar Prinz wrote, when a musician wishes to compose something on a text, he must not only comprehend the thought as a whole, but also grasp the particular sense and force of each word, adding that the composer must join his music to the words so skillfully that the notes seem to express precisely what the words signify in 1697 daniel Speer encourages his readers to mark well the sense of the words for in that lies the source of the different emotions of the soul then he gives a long list of words which a composer must never pass without using an appropriate musical formula for them heaven earth high low bad good well ill go abide long quick sigh run chase noisy silent one two three Alleluia, amen Always, eternally recline, leap, rise, mount, fall, we get the picture. Obviously, Bach was aware of this technique and used the common wordage to best advantage and with a masterful taste, says Richard Pisano. And that's a key with Bach. Someone like the humanitarian and organist Albert Schweitzer would caution us about presuming that Bach's working with words and music was pedestrian and obvious. The seemingly shortest and most direct way from the text to the music is not always the right one in Bach. To discover his real thought, we must often follow him along the bypaths that surround his idea. His music is very often a picture of a situation. However realistic it is, it always seems fresh. It is this that stimulates the conceptual imagination of the hearer. Schweitzer also points out that much confusion and error has resulted from approaching Bach's descriptive writing too literally by reducing his music to a system comparable to the Wagnerian leitmotif. It must be remembered that Bach is always concerned with the parts and the whole together rather than merely showing how clever he might be. Ta-da! On a word like mountain, bork, bork. All that from an essay by Richard Pisano titled On Bach Motets. And that's why we don't have the annual Daniel Speer Music Festival and the like each March. It's the brilliance of Johann Sebastian Bach that sustains our interest and leaves us wanting more when an ensemble like the Arcadia Chorale invites us to spend time with Bach in his brilliance by showcasing his organ works, his chamber music, and his powerful choral masterpieces. And Matthew Rupsich, music director and conductor of the Arcadia Chorale, is distinguished by his dedication to the expressivity, not just of the music, but text and music together. He makes sure, in whatever piece the chorale performs, that the singers understand the meaning of the words at the most fundamental level, as we'll learn, and their place in the whole. So, the Arcadia Chorale is poised to present an exceedingly rich, and powerful performance of the great Bach Motet, Jesu meine Freude, in the group's annual Bach Festival, March 19th and 20th in Scranton. We had a chance to speak by phone with Matthew Rupcich about the history of the Bach Festival and the works on offer.
1: This has been a long-standing tradition with... The Arcadia Corral. this will be the 35th annual Bach Festival. So I'll have to say the organization in many ways, because of its good leadership with the advisory board and its history with musical directors, it has really been a strong, I will say, performance festival for the past 35 years because of the many people involved and under the direction of even my predecessor, Dr. Stephen Thomas and others it is a big festival and it's unique in its way because it's a serious music festival and it highlights area musicians as well as giving more time and repertoire to composers that may not necessarily get as much, I don't want to say recognition, but I'll say airtime. You know, when you have a season like the Arcadia crowd, it's a diverse season, so we don't necessarily focus on composers, serious composers for a length of time for a specific program. And that's that's really what provides the NEPA Box Festival, that we could do serious music for our patrons and our audience to come and hear some really great music that's not necessarily performed in, I'll say, into some smaller concerts or smaller uh, venues. So we're excited about to be able to present our festival the weekend of March 18th.
0: And Matthew, what's your history with music of the environs of Bach and a little bit before and a little bit after? Is that something that you've dedicated some study to? Is it music that you're passionate about?
1: Well, I want to say it's both. I, I have a conservatory degree from Peabody Conservatory. My master's is from University of Maryland in College Park. And I have to say, I very much appreciate having those two different types of degrees. But connected to that, I've always been a serious musician. Um, when I was younger playing the piano, I mean, all I played was Bach and Rachmaninoff and Brahms and, and Chopin. And this has sort of been my blood. And I always had an opportunity then when I became a singer I was one of the youngest members ever admitted to the Chicago Symphony Chorus under Margaret Hillis at the time. And so I always had opportunities to do larger scale work. And when I then came here after graduating, doing my master's and coming out to the East Coast and working in New York and New York City, I had, the, I had the opportunity to be at Hunter College as an adjunct professor. And at that time, we always did major works. So we did many of the Handel oratorios. We did Carmina Burana. I remember doing Beethoven Masses, Mozart Masses. So I always had opportunities to do serious works. And this is an opportunity for the chorale to do major works. And so I come in bringing that joy, experience, and enthusiasm to this program. It's, it's always been a part of me. So I'm, I'm excited that I'm able to work with the chorale in this setting and specifically work on major works. It's a treat.
0: And you have the opportunity to choose from a wide range of composers, even though Bach is at the center. There's lots of Bach to choose from. How did you put together this year's program?
1: Um, It's a a good question. You know, originally the chorale concert that was on Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m., that program we had to cancel it due to COVID in 2020. I like the program so much that we're doing that same program for 2022 because we didn't have an opportunity to perform it we were literally two weeks away from performance and it had to be canceled. How did I come about doing that? Well, I have to say, it's part of my uh, work that I always do is what works best for the singers? How can I challenge the singers and raise the level of musicianship in an in appropriate way for them? And then how can I create a program that is interesting for our audience and for our wider audience and be able to then communicate that work well? And so I have spent time, when I was interim director of the ensemble, of, of setting up this program. And for the chorale concert, we're doing three major works. We're doing Monteverdi's Beatus Vir, and we're doing Bach's Motet Jesu meine Freude. And then we close the program with George Frederick Handel's to Deum." And it's a very exciting program. Uh, I know the chorale sang Jesu meine Freude before, And it's a wonderful work. It's a virtuosic work for singers. It's a challenge. It's probably one of the most difficult motets out of the six that Bach wrote. And, of course, we're doing it in the original language. And so putting this together has been a journey for us since January. We started this program in January. Things are coming along beautifully. I really enjoy how the chorale is coming along. We are now at the point of really looking at the text highlighting the text, lifting up the text, and and how to support them, what happens musically, specifically with that piece. To to go back to your original question, you know, I, I, I look at my singers, what I think they're capable of doing, how could I challenge them well, and then try to create a program that is unique for them, as well as inviting for our audience and our members around, while maintaining the high level of musicianship and performance for this festival.
0: And it is a festival. It's very festive when you talk about something like the Handel. That's festive.
1: Ex- absolutely. Well, this piece, the Dennegan Te Deum, was first performed in 1743. A course, that was composed by Handel when he was a court composer at the Chapel Royale. He was commissioned to write this piece to celebrate King George II. King George II actually was the last monarch that we know of that was assisting Austrian forces to defeat the French in Dedigen, Bavaria at the time, of course, Germany now. And this piece is dedicated to him for winning that war, for winning that battle. And the work is quite majestic. It's scored with three trumpets. That gives a clue right away about how strong, this piece, and kind of rich, how it's composed. And the piece is interesting. It has 15 movements, and sometimes when people think about, wow, it must be a long piece, the piece is only about 35, 40 minutes long, and the text is quite concise throughout. It's based on the Sedeum text by the Italian Frescan friar Francesco Urio, and he wrote this Sedam in the 1680s. The piece calls for SATB chorus. Sometimes the choir is in a five-part split where the women divide or and or the men divide. And it also calls for some incidental solos for some mezzo singers where, where I have some of my altos singing those solos. But I do want to highlight uh, there are three movements that call for a bass baritone solo, and I'm very excited that a singer from the crowd named Moses Andrande is singing the solos. He has a wonderful rich voice. He was one of our soloists for the Messiah thing. He's a wonderful singer in the area and he's doing very well in the solos. So the piece is well-rounded. It has choral work, it has solo work. It calls for a small symphony within the piece. Handel wrote it, but it's actually only five or six measures long. It's for trumpets only. It's after a very dramatic part of the, of the piece. But it's, it's a beautiful work and as you said, quite celebratory and that's why I put it at the end of the program for our chorale concert.
0: And the Monteverdi is exquisite. It's really a beautiful blend and a different feeling than the other works on the program.
1: Absolutely. And I think the chorale is noticing that quite more as we get closer to performance. I'm happy to say we've been able to run that piece well now for the past couple of weeks, and so they're quite prepared on it. But what is interesting is how Monteverdi wrote it. It's very dark, it's very simple, but yet very expressive. We will be performing it with strings and organ continuo. And how it's scored for the singers is basically done in pairs and trios with voice parts, of course, at times when the full chorale sings. And this particular style, where we have small group singing, is very typical of early Baroque music. There is a term called stile concertato, and that's basically... What that means is how I described it. These small pairings of voices coming together, and uh, it's it's very typical of early Baroque music. It's a beautiful work. It's expressive. And I have to say the final amen of the work is exquisite. Probably one of the best final amens of choral writing I've experienced. And I think I might feel that way because of how the voices interchanged and... And are paired in the beginning, but this amen at the end is full. It's rich. It's luscious, and I will even say thick, thick in its writing. And to have that come in at the end of the piece is quite stunning. I mean, it's quite gorgeous, and we're we're doing that very well. And it's it's very I want to say in some ways soothing.
0: And Matthew, you are very concerned about the text and the way the singers understand the text. What does this particular beatus Vir concern in terms of the words?
1: Well, the text is based on Psalm 112, and it begins with, Blessed is the man that fears the Lord. And what I love about that specific line, I will say that particular line, Beatrice Vir, dominum in Latin? Blessed is the man that fears the Lord. That little motif happens within the work about I want to say three to four times, and it is the linchpin. It is the grounding of the piece, and we have to, as as performers, we have to highlight the text when it when it talks about obviously being blessed and also a fearing of the Lord. And how Monteverdi writes that is quite simple in its way. I will will share. However, we have to challenge ourselves then to lift the text up. Later in the piece, it, it begins to talk about that, that we need to be merciful, we need to be compassionate, that our hearts are strengthened. We recall that, that God gives to the poor. He is justice, endures for generation and to generation. Interesting enough in that piece, for generation to generation, there's lots of text painting happening on where there's repetitive texts, repetitive musical lines, to highlight that motif of generation to generation. And then, of course, the ending, as I mentioned, the Amen, but prior to the Amen, that we have the glory be to the Father, as we would say. And that is uh, another way of how we, we close in prayer, and how this piece closes in prayer itself. And Monteverdi, at times, takes words and just highlights them in simple ways through uh, repetition, I'll say through pitch, and how it's also scored. And that's what really highlights the text for for the singers. And as I stated in my program notes as people, I hope, come to the concert and see it's my hope that the chorale celebrates honors, lifts up the text of all these pieces to show that even pieces written in the 17th century are exciting and new and, and are meaningful and how we could make that meaningful to an audience today. That's, that's our biggest challenge. Besides, besides having the wonderful sound that the chorale has and that we continue to work and we continue to develop that sound, our goal is to communicate and to communicate the text and the stories that the composer, how he or she uh, would have wanted.
0: Also in that regard, Matthew, you are in a space and you're very aware of the acoustics of the space. And this is music that, for example, we could think about the handle filling the entire church space and the Beatus here maybe being a little more intimate. So you're always aware of those considerations as well.
1: Absolutely. And and in many ways, that's how I started the program. But since we're doing the Biasus Vio, it is simple. It is more intimate. It is more quiet. It is more challenging in that way because singers feel more exposed. And same with the instrumentalists. I'll, I'll only have one first violinist, one second violinist, and then violist, uh, cellist, and bass, uh, string bass, arco player. So the, the singers will feel more exposed. When we do the Bach, interesting, the Bach wasn't written for any kind of accompaniment whatsoever. I think mainly because Bach wanted to highlight his his wonderful singers that he had at the time. As I mentioned earlier, it's a virtuosic piece for the singers. But they'll be accompanied by organ, and cello. And this will be able to really highlight the chorale's work. They're fantastic singers. They uh, will sing that very well. And then, of course, we end with the handle, which is full orchestra, which, uh, we'll have a, another different sound because of the vast majority of the instruments there, including oboe, bassoon, and I mentioned trumpets and also timpani. What I think is interesting, um, if I may, Erica. Whenever I perform works, I try to read as much as I can on on performances and performance practices and different things. And I I am reading a book excerpts by Gordon Jones called Box Choral Music: A Listening Guide. I believe he was a music teacher at the Putney School up in Vermont, and he writes of the Bach. I shared this with the singers last week, and we got a good kick out of it. It was, it was quite funny. He talks about the Easy Mine of Florida, how it scored for five voices, a continuo, and how it was written for a funeral, which it was. It was written for the postmaster's wife funeral of that time, and I believe it was in 1723. And he mentions that this is the longest motet out of the six, probably about twenty minutes. And it says it calls for very talented singers. There is nowhere to hide. And then the last sentence always made us crack up. It says it is sometimes performed. So <laughs> it made us laugh because it's hard. The piece is difficult, and and it's not performed very frequently because you do need to have very good singers. And I'm blessed to have that because the corral uh, puts their work in, and and they do very well. So we're we're excited to be able to present this motet that's not done very frequently.
0: It does say a lot, and it says a lot for all of you. Tell us the overall way that the weekend unfolds.
1: So what's nice about the Nipah Bach Festival is just not highlighting choral works. We have formed the Arcadia Festival Orchestra to accompany the chorale on their Sunday afternoon concert at 3 p.m., and that's at March 20. But what we also do is we have an organ concert that happens on Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock. The great Mark Lobach, who's the choirmaster and organist at St. Stephen's and Wilkes-Barre, will be our guest organist soloist. He has a wonderful program set up. He will be doing some Bach pieces. He'll be doing Handel. He will also be doing a Von Williams work. And he's also closing the program with a celebratory piece by César Franck. One of the uh, goals that Mark has for his recital work this year is to celebrate the 200th anniversary of the birth of César Franck. And during this year, he's going to perform all 12 of Franck's major organ works and recitals. And so we're excited that we're part of that celebration with him. So he finishes that program with a large Franck piece. And the organ concert is held at the Elm Park United Methodist Church, and that will be at 4 p.m., and that's a free concert, part of the festival. Later that evening, we have the chamber music concert. Now, what's nice about the chamber music concert, Erica, is that we have some fabulous players that are accompanying us and part of the festival orchestra, and then we are giving them an opportunity to show their talents in in smaller ensembles and chamber work on Saturday evening at 730. And that concert's at Covenant Presbyterian Church. And we have the Beverly Trio with Tom Heinz and Harold Levin and Gail Klaber. We'll be performing a uh, uh, Richard Carr by Bach. We have Leah Valenches and Juliet Valenches and Peter Brubaker. They'll be playing a Schubert string trio. And then we also have Ed Wargo, who's a flautist in the area, with our, also our wonderful accompanist, Tsukasa Waltich, and Peter Brubaker. They'll be doing a Bach sonata for that concert. And then in the second half, we have Mark Woodyat, who's a wonderful violinist. He'll be playing Bach Partita, number three, in E major. Quite difficult piece. It's a solo virtuosic piece. We're excited to have him contribute to this concert. And then we finish with an oboe quartet by Mozart. So it's another rich, serious, diverse program for the Chamber Music Festival that night on the Saturday evening of the festival. And then we have the chorale concert on Sunday uh, afternoon at 3 p.m., also at Covenant Presbyterian Church.
0: Matthew Rupsich, Music Director and Conductor of the Arcadia Chorale, speaking about the 35th Annual Northeastern Pennsylvania Bach Festival presented by the Chorale, and the dates this year, Saturday, March 19th and Sunday, March 20th. On Saturday afternoon at 4, it's an organ recital with Canon Mark Laubach at the Elm Park Methodist Church, Linden Street in Scranton, with Bach and Franck and more. And Saturday evening at 7.30, there will be the Chamber Music Concert with members from the Arcadia Festival Orchestra. The music director of that concert is oboist Tom Hines. It's at Covenant Presbyterian Church, 550 Madison Avenue in Scranton. And then on Sunday, March 20th at three in the afternoon, it's the Arcadia Chorale Concert at Covenant Presbyterian Church, and again Madison Avenue in Scranton, and that performance will feature Monteverdi's Beatus Vir, also this motet by Bach, Jesu, meine Freude. <laughs> And the concert will close with a performance of the wonderful Handel celebratory piece, the Dettingen Deum. Arcadia Chorale presents its 35th Northeastern Pennsylvania Bach Festival, Saturday and Sunday, March 19th and 20th in Scranton. An organ recital with Mark Laubach at Elm Park United Methodist Church at 4 o'clock on Linden Street. Admission is free. And then Saturday evening at 7.30, a chamber music concert with members from the Arcadia Festival Orchestra at Covenant Presbyterian Church. Sunday, March 20th at 3 in the afternoon, the Arcadia Chorale will present the Bach motet Jesu meine Freude, the Monteverdi motet Beatus vir, and the celebratory Te Deum by Handel with full orchestra. For more information on the web, arcadiacorral.org, A-R-C-A-D-I-A, arcadiacorral.org.